Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. If you don't recognize this voice, I'm not going to take it personally. This is uh, Jason Gay, guest co-hosting with your real superstar here, Joshua David Stein. But I'm starting it out because it's third rail time for you, Joshua. (laughs) Third rail time. You know what that means. Sports talk. Uh, Do not enjoy. I don't enjoy it. But yeah, uh, thank you, Jason, for that uh, assist. Uh, yes, yes. Can I yes. say thank you for that layup? No, assist works. Assist okay, works. yeah, great. Yeah, thank you for yeah. that assist. Yeah. We're, today we're going to talk to um, another sports guy. Jason, as everyone knows, is a very friendly and approachable sports writer and man. <laughs> you make me sound like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> you kind of are not dissimilar. <laughs> and we're going to talk to Sam Anderson, who is a writer for the New York Times Magazine and the author of Boomtown. The fantastical saga of Oklahoma City, its chaotic founding, I think it's apocalyptic weather, its purloined basketball team, and the dream of becoming a world-class metropolis. Sam Anderson, I think, does a really good job of translating the particular world of sports into a broader story of human frailty and glory. He's like a sports whisperer for the (laughs) non-sports fan, which is what I am. Yeah. And he's also a dad of two. Yeah. Uh, he was a coach of his son's soccer team for a while. Okay. And because I am a father struggling with how hard to push my kids into sports and with my own lack of facility in that language, I wanted to talk to him for some guidance or, as they might say in sports, coaching. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. I know about Sam because he wrote a really wonderful profile of Russell Westbrook, who is a basketball player. Now, did you know who he was before you read the profile? I did not. Okay. Can you talk to me about who Russell Westbrook is and why his story is so compelling? Well, he's the definition of the kind of sports person were you to sit someone in front of a basketball contest say you Mm. uh having never watched a basketball game having never had any kind of um, knowledge about oklahoma city thunder or anything like that you would within seconds look at him and say who is this person he plays at perhaps i'd say you know 15 RPM faster than everybody else on the court. He is a remarkably uh, dynamic player. He has, you know, odd kinds of imperfections, for example, like he can't shoot long range, but still shoots long range all the time. Um, He can be very frustrating on his teammates and yet, you know, has statistically accumulated like anybody, like nobody else in the NBA. He averages this stat they call the triple double, which is, you know, double figures and points, rebounds and assists, something that had not been done for a generation and a half. Um, But on top of it is this like 
sort of wacky style vanguard who dresses like, you know, Basquiat and like is just, uh, you know, a, 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 an icon sort of cross-culturally. I mean, he's somebody like, you know, years ago, I say this with some authority because, you know, some men's fashion magazine writing experience designers didn't care at all about athletes. They're like, why do I want to dress a six foot five guy? Like I can't put him in my clothes. And now Russell Westbrook has more influence on like French designers than any movie star or something like that. So he's just this, you know, he is a true one-off and, uh, you know, I love watching him play. So now that I'm raising kids, I am wondering, should I pressure them in, not pressure, should I suggest and make available to them the opportunity of team sports? Yeah. Or should I suggest and make available to them the path that I took, which was martial arts and like a very individualized um, way forward? What did you, what, what's your take? What are you doing? I am at an interesting crossroads with, I have a five-year-old son who is beginning to express interest in team sports. He's played a little bit of t-ball, a little bit of soccer, um, and has been playing basketball at school. And, you know, you, you always sort of are on alert for flickers of yes. something with children, right? And so now he's getting that basketball flicker where I can tell that something has caught with him. And... This is going to sound weird, but I feel weirdly guilty that this excites me to no end. My son is using like three syllable words and he's writing the alphabet. And yet him saying he's interested in basketball excites me more than any of that. No, I relate. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 my my conditioning of many years uh, now uh, taking form and ruining his life. Yeah, my older son, Achilles, um, he was into soccer cleats for a while and wearing a, his mom's Brazilian and wearing like a Brazilian soccer jersey. And that I was like watching him enter into a life that I never had of being like a sports fan and a participant. And I was so overjoyed that he would have those feelings of companionship and whatever else jocks or athletes yeah. do. So you are not throwing a log in the road of any of this. If were your son to come home oh. and say, like, either one of them say, I am a Mets fan and all I want to do is watch Mets game. You're not saying, we're not doing that in this house. We're going to talk to <laughs> Sam about this, I know, because he's coached youth sports, but I see your destiny, Joshua. At one point, what? one of these children is going to participate in a team sport and somebody's going to say, uh, we need an extra coach for this, <laughs> yeah. and it's going to. I mean, it's a documentary, right? I mean, yeah, you like coaching like a baseball team or something like that. Hit the thing, <laughs> the, the fucking thing, hit it! You're going to be teaching him to run the wrong way around the bases, you know, like yeah, and all the you know the shorthand, all the vernacular is going to be completely foreign to you. I love it. I, I mean, love even it. all the like. My boss, this guy Andrew, who you know, like he talks in he grew up playing sports. He talks right. in sports metaphors all the and time. It means nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now I understand when he says things like, uh, like we're in the red zone, <laughs> and he has some other thing like pushing it over the line. Like right. Football. I think we're that's take foot this thing over the line. Right? Yeah. Or yeah. oh, something that people say a lot is like, yeah, this is like, uh, like fourth and down or fourth and. Fourth, longer fourth and down <laughs> whatever yes, it's like fourth and down i get it I, I you know my you know pocket psychology um uh, assessment of you is that you grew up in philly true 
And Philly is about as hardcore parochial a team sports town as there is on planet Earth, not just in America. And like, a, you know, a child in London in the 70s rejecting like punk rock or something like that, <laughs> you are rejecting sort of the, the community culture that was just everywhere and abundant and, and that, that the only uh, suitable civic rebellion for you was to just hate team sports or just not pay attention to it. Let's call Sam. Hello? Is, is that Sam Anderson? Yes, yes, yes. That's me. <laughs> Last night I read your Russell uh, Westbrook profile, which... Mm for a couple of reasons was mind-blowing. One of them is because I am, like, in the most profoundly way possible not a team sports guy. Um, And Jason is... Wait, what do you like? Like, mountain climbing? He's a team sports guy, which is a weird phrase to say. Yeah. uh, uh, Cycling? MMA and boxing. Joshua doesn't, Joshua doesn't like teamwork of any kind. He doesn't like, he doesn't like collaboration. Okay. That's that's accurate. I, I just okay, feel like, yeah. Well, we're we're side we're two sides of a coin because yeah, I said you about those things. Yeah, that's my natural reaction to those. You didn't watch the sports, Wilder Fury fight? Oh, such a I don't know fight. what those words mean. It's an hour. I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of that thing you just referenced. <laughs> uh, no, it's funny. There, yeah, there's something like deep and spiritual, right? Like I'm just not inclined to be interested in those things. Uh, they don't grip me, but team sports totally do. And Jason, I, I like both. You know, I could talk about the Fury Wilder fight and the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm I'm all in. You know, and also professionally, yeah. both of you kind of are involved in sports and talk about sports. And Sam, I understand from my boss, who couldn't be a bigger fan of yours, literally oh, he nice. compares me to you all the time, and I never come off good in that comparison. <laughs> Why can't you write sentences like this? <laughs> Have you ever had a comment oh, in a Google Drive that's just like a link to another writer? <laughs> uh, no, no, that's never happened. Ouch. Yeah, it's the worst. Um, but uh, you have a, a daughter? Mm-hmm. And you coach her. I have one of those. And you coach her. And soccer I have a team. son too. Okay. No. 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 Okay. My daughter um, is like you and not interested in team sports. A thirty-seven-year-old jaded. <laughs> yes, that's that's what my daughter is like. And uh, my son, my daughter's fourteen. Okay. And my son is now eleven. And when he was younger, I got roped into coaching his uh, little kid soccer team. Um, this is not something I would have been inclined to do at all. Um, number one, cause I grew up watching very American sports, which didn't include soccer. Um, and so I don't really understand it on the level that you would want a coach to understand something. But, um, what happened was I'm really bad with like logistics and deadlines. And we were just late signing him up for his soccer league that year and my wife said well the only way we're going to be able to guarantee him a spot on a team is if you coach and then she just signed me up to coach without really consulting me so I was roped into being a coach and I did it for a few years Um, and it was kind of a harrowing experience (laughs) Sam did you you, you, uh, coach the children in more of a Barcelona style tiki taka, or was this more of a uh, you know straightforward you know, approach? It, right. Uh, well, I hate you. You you joke, but 
I went, I, I so overthought this <laughs> because I, I was so aware of, you know, my deficiencies as a youth soccer coach. Like I really studied the game and I really thought about like formations. And, no kidding. Uh, so you really did do a deep dive. I kind of did a deep dive to an embarrassing degree. Um, and I would like feverishly sort of construct these practice uh, plans and schedules and drills. And I would like invent my own drills. Um, How old were the kids? I, um, let's see. When we started, I think six or seven. Hmm. Uh-huh. And, I, and I tried to like, uh, you know, in a writerly way, you try to like translate uh, uh, sort of complex concepts to a level that, you know, your audience can understand. So um, we laughed to this day, to, day about my invention of something called the magic circle and another thing called the scary square. And these are <laughs> my ways of trying to teach these little kids um, what areas of the field were, you know, sort of most promising and and most dangerous on offense and defense. There's a kid's was, book in there somewhere. I don't know. I don't ever want to think about this stuff again. I was, it was <laughs> really like, like looking back, it was amazing how stressed out I got about it. And then how worried I got about like what the parents of the kids were thinking sure. about how they were performing on game days. And like, like, I think I was a bad match for this position. How, how did you navigate that? Like, you know, other parents, especially because, you know, the children are just, you know, they're there to have a, good time or screw around or whatever but the parents are bringing their own expectations to it how was that yeah soccer parents are notorious um and obviously like i was one species of species of that where i thought about this way too much and took it too seriously um even though i was never like uh i've never been like the aggressive screamy um everyone needs to overachieve style yeah. Uh, soccer dad you're more but of a, you just disappointed me <laughs> no 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 i'm super super encouraging i would i love nothing more than just praising kids for doing the right thing no matter how small it was um and and i really i i really didn't put pressure on the kids to win or anything um because we were told not to do that at that age but there were some parents who absolutely did not get that and were screaming and screaming and screaming uh at could you address time. that would you like you know say hey can you take it down a notch like how do you handle that um avoidance i, I avoidance yeah occasional glares um, <laughs> uh yeah, you try to give social cues, you know, up to the point of actual confrontation. Um, you know, some of them were like in the same way that I was conscious that I was overthinking everything. Like they were conscious, they were aware that they were probably shouldn't have been shouting about every single play and they would try to stop themselves and some of them just couldn't. I mean, we're all just like, it's like you really see, I mean, we're all just like grown up kids. I mean, Oh, yeah. um, and you see that when we're out on the soccer field, it's like, it's like the, the dad of the kid who has like no impulse control and it's just all over the field and won't listen to anything. And it's randomly kicking balls at practice into other children and hurting them. Like that dad is the one who also has no impulse control right. on the sideline. And he's screaming about everything and yelling at the ref and yelling at the coach. And, um, so yeah, nobody grows or learns the intergenerational continuum of Poor decision making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's the the grand circle of pathology. 
We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. I'm totally on the outside and I feel like I've had this experience so many times in my life of like being with a couple of guys and they're talking about sports and I have no idea. And it goes back to when I was a kid and like I didn't have a TV and kids would talk about Star Wars and I'd be like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> They'd be like, have you seen Star Wars 25? I'm like, yeah, it's great. It's a so you would try to like bullshit your, your way through it? Yes, yeah, yeah, so I was called great. out every single time. <laughs> no, I said it's great. Yeah. That it scene where Yoda cuts off Luke's head. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very deeply harrowing. Um, but it, it does seem like sports is a, a huge thing that fathers and sons and daughters people just coalesce around and it's like a type of low-grade relatively non-violent tribalism that engenders a, a sense of bonhomie and i've just never had that and so i'm curious now that i'm raising this is a part of the podcast where i i talk about questions i actually have uh raising two i have two boys are five and six and one's turning seven this weekend um like, are you their MMA coach? <laughs> uh, no, my younger son Augie. I tried to get them to do jujitsu. Um, my younger son Augie really likes to roughhouse, and the most I've been able to teach him about jujitsu is how to tap when you're getting choked out, yeah, and how to do that. Like I'm doing with Jason, the high five into like a pound, yeah. Like, okay, you know, like okay. that's how you start rolling to do randori or open training for um i assume they have a grappling and a stand-up coach though too right uh they're, they're, they're i'm just I, no it's me i mean like i am even when we roughhouse i am like throw straight punches like don't do looping punches because they're slower <laughs> augie oh. knows how to do an arm augie's five he knows how to do an arm bar and a rear naked ch choke and he knows how to tap. And honestly, I know we're joking and you guys are maybe making fun of me. No, it's, no, I'm with you. Uh, um, no, definitely. But I do think it's important for uh, Achilles is older. He's like a lost cause. He just, he just likes to decorate things and he's not into sports, but like for Augie to understand what roughhouse, the difference between roughhousing and fighting and like the ability to use yeah. his body and in wrestling, like to be heavy on another person, like what that means to use his weight. I I've tried to sign them up at my dojo and it's just like, I don't want to push it. Neither one of them really took to it this early and that's fine by me. Um, what does that mean to be heavy on the numbers? That's an amazing thing to say. Uh, when you're heavy on someone, it means like if you're in uh, like full mount, which is the person's on their back and then you have your legs over their hips and under their arms, it's like a dominant position. Um, that the person under you can roll or try to get out and you're not toppled. So you can, uh, it's almost like surfing on top of them um, and not letting them up. It, there's different ways to like, uh, I don't know, to use your body in, in which you exert more control over them. Um, but my question is this, uh, can you t can you both of you guys? Because I feel like you're both equally adept at talking about this. Talk about the developmental importance of having kids participate in that sporting culture. Something that I'm denying my own my own children. 
I mean, how has like it been, like, not, Sam, like, how has it been not. in your growing up as an individual? How has being able to use sports metaphors, participate in, <laughs> in fandom, like, mm-hmm. how has that affected your development, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there are so many different levels of it. Like you said, there's like, there. I mean, it is a very easy kind of lingua franca in, among, you know, a large swath of American men or, or, you know, just global men to be able to talk about sports, to be able to meet someone who's from like Senegal and say, oh yeah, who are the, who are the famous footballers from Senegal and talk about, you know, these guys who are in the Premier League and stuff. And it's just like a way to very easily... Um, relate that that leads to like deeper relationship um, in the way that you would talk about anything, and then on like a personal level, I think you know probably in the same way that um, martial arts or any of that is too. It's like there's a kind of feeling out of your own personality, of your own boundaries, of your strengths and weaknesses, and and your inclinations and um, you know, your capacity for discipline and you know, you just kind of like, it's, it's like any activity you would do out in the world. I mean, it's like painting or something. You, it's a, it's a, a tool for figuring out who you are by pressing against this kind of foreign activity. Hey bro, um, you check out Cezanne's brush strokes. That is some dynamic work there. That's not bad. I would talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jason? Uh, yeah, so so yeah, it helps you relate to people and it also helps you kind of figure out yourself, I would say. Do you have memories as a child of those kind of formative experiences watching sports, though? Um, so I was not into sports in any way until my mom married this guy who um, who was this total blue-collar Chicago factory worker sports maniac who moved out to the West Coast um, because he got transferred to the General Mills cereal factory out near us. And they ended up getting married. And he was like those characters from old Saturday Night Live, the The Bears, the Balls, the Bears, the Balls. (laughs) He was that guy. Um, And like he, I was just, I was just writing this the other day. He was, he actually subscribed to the, and this was the 90s, so there's no internet version. He subscribed to the Chicago Tribune, had it mailed out to California. So we would get it like five days late <laughs> every day. And then he would go to the sports section and he would clip out photographs of Michael Jordan and the other Bulls oh, and the Bears. Wow. And he would like build them into these montages that he would frame and like put over the TV. Oh my gosh. Um, just absolute rabid sports head. And he taught me how basketball worked. Um, you know, and he taught me like, I remember one sort of epiphany, um, when he was like, all right, we're playing basketball. You've got the ball. Let's say you're, you're up at the top of the key, like at the three point line. If you're, if your defender comes up close to you like this and he stepped really close, Mm -hmm. then you can drive around him. If he steps back, then you can shoot over him. And just that simple sort of binary choice right there kind of opened up this whole world of like uh, of deep strategy and, and thinking that I've still and since then I've been an enthusiastic pickup basketball player um, to this day. And uh, it's that 
you know, you, you build structures out of those kind of simple choices and it's really fascinating. And so after that point, there was a time in high school, especially where I was, I was getting bullied and I felt really awkward and out of sorts. And I remember really locking into basketball in particular as this world where I could kind of go and be by myself and be in control and work on things and get better. So I would go and I would shoot a hundred hook shots at a time and then a hundred free throws. And every day I would go and do this stuff. Um, and it, it gave me this sense of like accomplishment on this small scale. Um, you weren't practicing, so, uh, inefficient long twos, were you? Well, that was in back then. So that was like a normal <laughs> thing to do. We didn't, no one really shot threes back then. Um, yeah, which is still my game. I don't really have a great three point shot. I'm kind of, I'm kind of auto- automatic out to, tw- out to 12 feet if you leave me completely unguarded. But, uh, no. When you had kids of your own, and Jason, this is also for you, did you automatically think that they were going to play sports? Was that a, you, Sam, you said your daughter's not into it, but your son is. Like, did you force it? Did you not force it? I'm trying to decide for myself, like, do I sign my kid up for things that they don't naturally like because I don't want them to grow up as deficient in this way? Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you force yeah. it? Did you not force it? How did you navigate that? How did you figure out what their game was? Did you let them, you know, figure it out? Yeah, not force it at all. Um, I think, and maybe because of my particular experience of it, it, it felt so individual. You know, I had this influence from my stepfather, but if I hadn't, I was never forced to play, and I, I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I had been forced to play. It was such a, it was such this like spiritual thing that I needed somehow. Um, that for our kids, we just kind of left left the door open. I'm happy to educate them about whatever sport they want to know about in the same way that I'm happy to educate them about writers and literature and artists and whatever they want to know about. But no, I'm not, I'm not a forcer. Have you had the experience of, and you know, you deeply immersed yourself in this Thunder team, which for a whole bunch of reasons has been one of the more fascinating franchises in sports in general for the last decade or so. Um, you know, have you had the experience of like sitting with your kids and saying like, watch this, like watch Westbrook or watch Westbrook and Durant, you know, a couple of years back and, you know, maybe James Harden and like, you know, sort of here's how you, how to appreciate what these guys are, um, you know, in the same way, mm-hmm. you know, Joshua might with hammer claws. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like to me, sports is just, it really is just, uh, and I try to write about it this way. It's just a thing that humans do, yeah. like any other ac- cultural activity that humans yeah. do. And that's why it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because I'm interested in it, my kids are kind of interested in it. And when we're sitting there, of course, I'll explain, you know, look how look how wildly aggressive Russell Westbrook is. Yeah. Like, think, of, yeah. think about what that brings to the table and think about all the opportunities it kind of takes away to, um, you know, if, if I am pushy about one thing, it is about being a kind of thoughtful sports consumer. Okay. Um, and I always, if I'm preachy about something, it 
do not be an obnoxious sports dude where you say, because you love Steph Curry, you say that LeBron James sucks. Yeah. Um, it's not as you love so Ronaldo, game. so Messi sucks. Yeah, don't be that guy. Don't ever be that guy. Um, yeah, that's something I get on my high horse about. I mean, so maybe John, they'll react by being that guy. My son actually is hes kind of rebelling by, I'm actually originally from Oregon, so in the years after my stepfather was around, I reverted to being a Portland Trailblazers okay. fan. And my son is, from a very young age, has just been this obnoxious L.A. Lakers fan because <laughs> the Blazers and Lakers are this kind of rivalry, That's mini awesome. rivalry, because the Lakers just win. But, yeah, he loves them, and he kind of loves he, he loves the Warriors. And since Durant left the Thunder and he knew that bothered me, he thought it would be cool to love the Warriors. Here's another brief word from our sponsors. I want to ask you related to the book, um, you know, we hear so much about uh, sports teams and what they can do for communities. And I often just feel like there's a major whiff of BS when you hear that proposed. But, you know, Oklahoma City sort of is testament to that idea that 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 Mm -hmm. what the Thunder, uh, you know, were pitched as and what they became. And and I know that this is part of your book that um, really sort of you know, achieve that notion. And, um, you know, do you buy it that it can be some sort of galvanizing force uh, for a city like, you know, anywhere? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because my inclination as like a cynical East Coast intellectual also was to just kind of call BS on that. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, you can easily point to like the incredible public cost of bringing one of these franchises to a city like so much money goes into paying for the arenas paying for the practice facilities subsidizing all kinds of stuff that could have gone into you know building social safety nets and other more meaningful things um but then you get this team and i would so you get this this kind of international brand associated with your city yeah which for a city like Oklahoma City, they were just absolutely desperate for because it's been a place that people look past for many reasons for just decades. Um, And so suddenly you have this thing that people in Japan know about, people in Australia know about. And again, it's that question we were talking about earlier of like, if you tell someone you're from Oklahoma City anywhere in the world now, someone will say to you, oh, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, the Thunder. which turns out to be not a minor deal. And I would ask people, there's a guy um, I spoke with a lot when I was there. He was the city planner, this wonderful um, contrarian guy from Australia, basically called bullshit on everything. (laughs) And, um, and, and was not in any way a Thunder fan and said he thought it was the biggest waste of time. And they just, the city couldn't even get things done because all the city leaders were going to Thunder games instead of going to meetings. And, uh, and I said, well, okay, so it's BS that this thing has brought all this public good to the city. And he said, oh, no, no, no. It has completely changed the kind of emotional fabric of the city. And that is real. And that is incredibly positive. And you have, I think the biggest change for me is like in Oklahoma City, it's one of those places out in the middle of the country without a lot going for it culturally. 
economically. And because of those reasons, like the young people, as soon as they hit high school, they would just kind of leave. Right. As soon as they graduated high school, they were out. If they were, especially if they're ambitious artistically or whatever, they were just gone to a bigger city. And now it, the place has been redefined as a place that has this identity that is an important kind of node of meaning in the world. And so the young people are staying. And as a result of that, you get all these, you know, cool coffee shops and um, funky T-shirt stores and great restaurants. And um, you get like a bike share program and bike lanes and all these things that a place like that would never have because the young people weren't there. And they're all there now and they're living downtown and they're going to Thunder Games. And the politics of Oklahoma City is changing. They just flipped this district from red to blue for the first time in like 40 years. Um, And so there are all these dominoes that fall. And I think a lot of them fell because they got this big, giant professional sports team. On the same, like, you know, metaphorically speaking, Mm -hmm. the other thing that happened was Russell Westbrook stayed. He had an option to, you know, take his talents uh, elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. It would have been an extremely coveted uh, free agent, however, chose to, you know, for a significant uh, charge, uh, stay with uh, Oklahoma City. And it was, you know, I remember watching the footage of the rapture in the city. But how significant do you think that was sort of, you know, emotionally for OKC? Yeah, I think that is the perfect um, metaphorical expression of what I was just saying about the young people staying. Like, here you have, like, an ultimate, like, young person, like, all-universe young person, yes. you know, who, who is cool and weird and um, creative. Worldly, and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, from L.A. Yeah, from L.A. So exactly. everyone thought he was going back there as so many other young people have from Oklahoma city, but no, for him to choose that place was really kind of epic and unexpected and so validating to the city. And yeah, they lit up their ridiculously tall skyscraper with, you know, thank you, Russ. And the mayor declared every day, Russell Westbrook day, I think. (laughs) I think one of the reasons I've always stayed away from sports and I want to hear from both of you guys is because that tribalism that you've been talking about is leading to, you know, a wonderful connection with other people also instills a sort of tribalism um, and sort of us versus them mentality, which is part of a competitive sport. And it's something that I try not to, that us versus them dichotomy is something that I try not to instill in my kids very much and something I push against. And I feel like that is also an under that is a value that's pushed in sports and competitiveness. So like, how do you square that? What's the, what is it? What does it say? I'm the magic circle in the naughty square. Like, how do you square that? <laughs> uh, you know that, yeah, it is. Sports is a great way to belong, but it's also a great way to inculcate, um, you know, an us versus them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the scary square, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that's a great point. I mean, and, that, and I think that goes right down to, like, foundational human stuff, is the units that we make and who belongs and who doesn't and what the relationship is between the insiders and the outsiders. And for me, I mean, I guess what I try to instill in my kids and something that I police in myself um, very strongly is this, like, I mean, it almost feels like a like a, uh, old 
old timey like British sense of fair play or something where, you know, like I'm the guy in the pickup game yeah. who if, if somebody hits an incredible shot on me, you know, I compliment the guys we're running back down the floor. So so it's like, you know, you maintain your sort of civilized rational mm-hmm. self even as within these very specific boundaries, you're trying to beat the person at a certain set of actions, but that doesn't change, you know, the, your, your basic relationship and respect for that person. So that's, that's kind of what I try to yeah. do. But you're right. I mean, with figures like Russell Westbrook, with figures like Michael Jordan, who famously, you know, punched his teammate in the face <laughs> at practice and just trash talked everyone within an inch of their life and like would, would do anything to beat you at anything. Um, I think there is something like, you know, there can be something kind of sociopathic in that drive to destroy and win. Um, and I and feel I like it's know. something it's, that fans, so that's from a playing standpoint, but also fans and being from Philadelphia, like I've definitely seen Philadelphian fans do this over and over again. Like they just rage, like they're so um, wound up and, 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 made into small heroes by like this glory that they've seen that they just destroy things and like they're so yeah. vehement and they have such a anger that comes out of sports and that's always been something that I felt like very uneasy about letting in into my w- world and obviously the world of my kids to your point of fair play though like I don't watch sports that much but what I do sometimes do is go on YouTube and watch like um they have compilations of like NH- N- NHL which is like hockey like yeah. NHL good sports like top twenty sportsmanship moments or like really? tennis <laughs> like best sense of fair play and it's just like guys being like are you okay That's or like funny. waving or because I do like wow or it's the same reason why I just watch a lot of like um, SNL breaking character or the office bloopers I just like mm-hmm. seeing the veil lifted for a moment to see that they're human beings below whatever yeah. their other identity is. And that's always been for me like that the jersey is the fundamental unit of an individual. It makes I, me uneasy. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would sorry to jump in. I would I would encourage us to look at sports I would I would encourage us to look at those moments of fair play and good sportsmanship actually not as like aberrant moments, but as the one of the essential things, maybe the essential thing that sports is teaching you is how to maintain that level of respect and sportsmanship in the face of wanting so badly to win within the confines of the sport. Like, because that is something that's, you know, you can try to keep sports out of your life, but you certainly can't keep self-interest out of your life. Um, and so that's just like, that's, that's no, another but I way can that act against kind of, it and self-sabotage, which I do all of the time. <laughs> well, sure. All of us do that. But sports, I think is this kind of metaphor for, you know, this is maybe a cliche, but it's this kind of concentrated metaphor for how life works. And one of the things we have to learn to negotiate in life, just everyday life walking around is how to balance our self-interest, our desire for good things for us with the kind of community that we're embedded in and the interests of that community. And so I think, again, that's one of the essential lessons that we can teach kids from sports. Sam, thank you for taking the time to chat with us about sports. I felt like uh, I was part of a conversation with three dudes just talking about sports. And yeah, it was a yeah. great, a great time. You should time. probably flip those burgers now. <laughs> uh, yeah you were it was fun are we done already we're done this is okay. a wrap thank you okay. so much for for chatting i might give oh, you a call pleasure. later and just talk about sports if that's okay 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And listen about uh, sports. Watch, watch the game tonight. I, what, what game? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just what you say. Of oh, course. great! Let's yeah, watch a game. Uh, yeah. Let's let's watch a game together. Let's yeah. watch the game together. Brewskies. Bruce, yes, those. <laughs> and some Chablis. Okay, thank you, Sam. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, guys. I guess I'm not surprised Sam was remarkably w- measured and like sane about looking at sports. Yeah. I think the thing that I didn't f- internalize is you're right that I only saw like a parochialism in terms of fandom and not the beauty of sports. You and saw the worst. I saw the worst of sports. Yeah. And this was like a highlight reel. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned at the top his ability to explain sports for the non-sports fan and make you appreciate. And that is like a very underappreciated and hard to master skill that he has, you know, like there you're right and you allude to it. You know, there's so much like arcana and just bizarre like trained behavior in sports fandom that if you are not in that world or at least a half foot in it, it can be intimidating and annoying. Uh, and he just does a terrific job of, you know, breaking down why you should appreciate this stuff. And damn it, if you're not watching five basketball games next year, <laughs> this has been a whole failure. Well, I think the other thing that Sam mentioned from his own personal experience as a father was just driving home. Sports metaphor? Uh, that sounds like a construction metaphor. Or a driving metaphor. Driving metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, he drove home was a, even this guy, Sam Anderson, sports writer extraordinaire, sports fan non yeah. plus. Um, is that right? Sports fan, an unequaled sports fan. Um, doesn't, didn't put. Yeah, that's right. Non pari. Non pari, yeah. Yeah. Um, didn't push his son into yeah. doing sports. So if that dude isn't pushing his kids to do sports, I'm not going to push my kid to do sports. Well, we're at the buzzer. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Touchdown with Joshua David Stein. <laughs> No, sorry. Well, I guess that's a two-minute warning for the Fatherly Podcast. <laughs> I'm Joshua David Stein. I'm your host and co-producer. This other guy who's in the studio, Max Savage-Levinson, is the producer. Jason Gay is my lovely co-host. Hi, Jason. Hi. Teammate. Bye. Bye. Uh, Andrew Berman is our executive producer. If you have fatherly questions, that's questions about fatherhood, not paternally phrased questions, please call us at 732-416-4571. Make sure you tune in next week for a brand new episode with Alex Goldman, the co-host of Reply All, my new favorite podcast and probably the podcast you've been listening to for years. And with that, go Eagles what? Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly, Eagles, fly. Thank you, Jason. Damn it, we're going to train you. (laughs) 